Hello everyone, it's your girl Peyton and your pal Danny, and welcome back to MB Teen. MB Teen is a fun and powerful podcast that encourages teens and tweens to live their best life. Today we get up close and personal with the founder of the Acton Children's Business Fairs, Mr. Jeff Sandifer. Hello everyone. We are here with a wonderful and inspiring human being who started the youth entrepreneurship movement that is changing lives and building confidence throughout the nation. His name is Mr. Jeff Sandifer, and he has taken time out of his busy schedule to help MB Teen encourage others to live their best lives. Jeff and his wife, Laura, Laura, are the founders of Acton Business Fairs. We, they are popping up all over the country. These fairs give children the opportunities to become business owners and earn money. If you listened to our last episode, Kids Making Moolah, you heard the interviews of more than 20 children business owners at the Raleigh Children's Business Fair. All of those children and us, the MB Team podcast staff, would have never had the opportunity if it hadn't been for Jeff and his wife, Miss Laura. So, Mr. Sandifer... You are definitely shaping the future one kid at a time. Can you tell us and, and our listeners what inspired you to create these types of opportunities for children? Well, Peyton, I wish I could take credit for it, but it was actually our sons, Charlie and Sam, and they were seven and eight years old, and they just came to Laura and I one day, and they said, uh, we want to start a business. And we said, well, that sounds like fun. And they said, you know, we, we want to put uh, tables out in our yard, uh, almost like a lemonade stand. And we've got five or six brands who want to do it, too. So it was their idea. Um, I think Charlie sold dog biscuits and Sam sold hot chocolate. And they had five or six other friends. And they had booths. And so people from around the neighborhood came, probably a lot like your children's business fair. And then that was fun. We forgot about it. Well, about a year went by. And we started getting phone calls from other young aspiring entrepreneurs and they said, when are we going to have the fair again? So we did it a second time. And that time, that year, 14 young entrepreneurs showed up. Oh, wow. The next year it was, the next year it was 28 and then 56 and then 110. Now I'm really embarrassed because I'm a teacher of entrepreneurship at a business school and I'm an entrepreneur myself mm-hmm. and here this great entrepreneurial idea was going right in front of us. It was so easy, we didn't pay any attention to it. It just kept happening. And finally, we said, you know, this is working so well, we ought to share it with some friends. So a friend of mine in Brenham, Texas, it's a small town outside of Austin, he tried one, and his started out with about 10 booths, and grew to 20, and then 40, and then 80. And then a friend in Guatemala had one, and his grew to where it had 5,000 visitors coming. And at that point, we said, we're going to put up a website, and we're going to find a way that other people can, can help do this. And we'll put up some prize money from our family. And we'll see you know, who else wants to have a fair. And mm-hmm. this year, so far, we've had 428 fairs and over 22,000 entrepreneurs participate. So it's That's just amazing. taken off on its own. Yeah, it's just taken off on its own. And it's really been one of those ideas that the young people make work. So I, we can't take any credit for it. It's entrepreneurs like you and like Danny that really make it work. Wow, thank you. Like that that was very cool to hear. I have another question. Um, did you have opportunities like this um when you were a kid? Well, I, I, I did not exactly like this, but I was I was probably a lot like you that 
I always wanted trying to find a way to make something out that was fun. I was scary to sell it to someone I hadn't met before, but after I did that a few times, I sure liked having extra spending money around. And so, um, I, you know, I would have a garage sale or I would have a lemonade stand mm-hmm. or, um, you know, I, at one point I started working uh, painting oil tanks for people. So I always had a business, but I never had a chance to kind of try out my business on a crowd to see how it would work and also to do it with other entrepreneurs because I bet when you were Danny, I bet you just had a lot of fun, you know, going back and forth on ideas together or seeing what other people did and mm-hmm. how you might make your fair better next year. I didn't have that kind of opportunity, so I'm really glad that the fairs allow people to do that. All right. I do I do enjoy the um hearing you say that you like had businesses like over and over again. Um yeah. but before you started businesses, did you like did you already know what you like wanted to do in your future or like or did business make you like um someone who was like I want to do this for my future. I want to be a uh, entrepreneur for my future. Why? Well, I, I don't know about you, but I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do at age six, and okay. age seven, and age eight, <laughs> and age ten, and age fourteen, and it was different every year. So oh. I was absolutely <laughs> sure I knew, and it always changed. So I, I, I um, you know, I, I was convinced I was right, and there will always be something new. So tell me, if, if you don't mind, I know you're interviewing me, but what was your business this year? Um, this year we are, um, this year my brother and I decided to do the MB Team podcast, but originally, oh, cool. yes, I had a teacher at my school, her name was Miss Janet, and um, she's in our first podcast, um, but she um, introduced me to the children's business fairs, and I started to really like like it a lot, and it was fun because um, it was something I didn't, like, I, at the time I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life, and I was kind of just lost. So after she um, showed me the business fairs and um, introduced me to that kind of stuff, I was like, oh, I, I know what I want to do. I want to be an entrepreneur because being an entrepreneur can, like, help you with so many things. And I um, started off with Patey's Cupcake class, and pretty much oh. I just had people um, – I helped people – I taught people, excuse me, how to decorate their own cupcake. And then I had treats for oh, fun. And then I had um, treats for fun, and we were both in the baking industry. I was selling Rice Krispie treats and brownies and kettle corn. Yes. Gosh, you're making me hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So my other question is, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your 13-year-old self about business and about life? Gosh, that's, that's... You know, I think that the advice I'd love to give myself, I was always, um, this happened when I was probably a little older than 13, but when I, when I was you know, 14 or 15 and certainly in college, I was worried about whether I was going to be successful mm-hmm. or whether I was smart enough or whether, and I, and I wish I'd just given myself the advice, if you just work hard and if you'll just treat people well, everything's going to work out and it's going to be so much better than you ever imagined. So that anytime I spent worrying, you know, as opposed to working hard or being with people that the worry was because all the things I worried about didn't, didn't happen. So mm-hmm. it was, and, and as long as I worked hard and made mistakes and kind of recovered from that, 
and was kind to people, everything worked out. And I, and I think that's one of the great lessons of entrepreneurship. You can fail early, you can fail cheaply, you can fail often. Mm-hmm. And you know, heroes to me and entrepreneurs, they don't always win, but they always get back up. And if you always get back up and try again, something good's going to happen. Did you have a mentor growing up? Do you have a oh, mentor? Yeah, I had an uncle um, that, that I just loved. And, and he, he died recently. He was 94 years old. A long life. And I loved him until the day he died. And I knew that he had my best interest at heart. And he was a tough, old, mean entrepreneur. I mean, he, was, <laughs> he wasn't mean to people, but he was just kind of grouchy. And you, know, you ever had that kind of grouchy uncle, but it, you know he loves you? And so yes. I, he, was really, he was really my mentor all growing up because he would tell me the truth even when it was hard. Yes. Those are some good qualities in a mentor. We know that um, yeah. we know that sometimes businesses fail, but does an entrepreneur? Uh, but how does an entrepreneur um know when he or she should throw in the towel and start over? Gosh, that's a great question. You know, I don't know the answer to that question yet. I really don't. Um, it, it 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 it's so hard. You know, because you say, don't quit, don't quit, don't quit. You learn from failure. Some failures really hurt. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just not time yet. And so uh, here's my, I've never been asked that question. I mean, I've, I've been asked, I've never been asked it that way before. But here's what I would say for, for my life, at least, is early in life, um, I think it was good to not quit and maybe try too many times when I should have quit earlier because it taught me not to quit and to work hard. As I got to know an industry or as I got better at things, I learned to pick opportunities that were about to happen. So I learned to pick better opportunities. I learned not to push hard until it was time. But I don't think you learn that early. I think you only learn that by not giving up and fighting continually or probably fighting too long and too hard early. Mm-hmm. Later on in life helps you uh, know how to pick better opportunities. I don't, I don't think you can – I think you have to learn that over time. That's a good answer and a very deep answer too. Yes, very very deep actually. <laughs> um, how would you be? Would you be willing to tell us a low point in your career and how you overcame it? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the lowest point in my career as an entrepreneur about your age, and this is a true story. I don't know if I've ever told anybody this story before, <laughs> but. My father had me work in the oil fields when I was a teenager, and it was so hot in West Texas. I mean, it was it was 100 degrees at 10 in the morning. Oh, my goodness. And we had to get up and do really dirty, lift big rocks, and I was a little kid. And, and you know, I was out there with real men, and they were, they were tough laborers. They were tough guys. And so I, one day it was raining, and it never rained in West Texas in the summer. So I thought, today's the day I'm going to get the day off. I was so excited. And so they, we didn't go out to the oil fields. We stayed at the shop. And all the older men kind of sat around and played cards. And my boss was named Armando. He was an Hispanic man. And I don't think, I don't know if he was just tough or mean to everybody or he didn't like me, but he, he was tough on me. <laughs> and he said, I, I wanted to sit down and go, you know, watch him play cards and get paid for doing nothing. And Armando said, no, no, Junior, come outside. He always called me Junior. And he said, Junior, you see that big pile of rocks? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, Junior, I want you to move the other pile of rocks from this side of the yard and move them over to the other side. 
<laughs> so I spent all morning carrying these big rocks. It took me like, you know, three or four hours to move them all to the oh other side God. in the rain. Oh, my goodness. So I moved them all. It, it was lunchtime, and Armando came out, and he said, Oh, Junior, I have made a terrible mistake. I would like you to move the rocks back to where they came from. <laughs> so Armando, just to be mean, made me move rocks all day. And as I moved all those rocks back, I said to myself, I'll never work for somebody else again. I'm always going to work for myself. And so Armando did me the greatest favor because on the worst day of my life till that day working, he taught me that I, I didn't want someone else to boss me around. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it for myself. Wow. I, I, I like how you were like, it, it, so, uh, like a sh you struggling. I like how you struggle, like, well, not necessarily struggling, but like how you're a mountain that was placed in front of you. Yes, a mountain that was placed in front of you. Thank you. Um, you used it, and then you were like, I don't want to work for another person. I want to work for myself. And I, I like how you do that. I like how you thought like that. Yes, because oh, it could be... I was, I, I, would, I, I was so mad at the time, but it was a, <laughs> it was a good lesson. Yes. Yeah, it's, sometimes it can be really hard to see the good um, the um, good things out of the out of a bad situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. What do you believe has been your greatest achievement? Gosh. Now, this is going to sound like a strange one, and it's not going to make a lot of sense. That's okay. Uh, it wasn't if I'd been, when I, when I was your age, but my greatest achievement is I really, really, really love my wife. She's my best friend. Um, we've got three wonderful kids that I, that I just adore, but, but the best thing that ever happened to me was marrying her. So it wasn't business. It wasn't all the things that happened. Like it's really just, it's, it's really being married to her has been the best thing in my life. And so that, you know, I think the greatest thing that I hope happens for our two sons, our daughter, is they find somebody as wonderful as she is. <laughs> my dad says the same thing. Yeah. It's really lucky. Cause I, I mean, you know, sometimes it, I, I, I was married before and, you know, I'll tell you one of the greatest failures was you know, my first marriage not working, and it was 70% my, mm -hmm. my wife's fault and 70% <laughs> my fault. And it just didn't work, and we try, both tried really hard, and I've been married 20 years now with Laura, and it's just been, you know, it's hard sometimes, mm -hmm. but, but boy, has it been, it's, the, it's my favorite thing about life. Okay. Um, what advice can you give kids about how you how to make their money work for them or just people of all ages uh, you know, so, so this is kind of an investment question then mm -hmm. you know I'm not big on giving advice because I'm wrong a lot so I really try hard not to give advice um, <laughs> I, I think the question I would ask somebody when they when they ask me about investment I, I think about investment being uh, work I'm going to freeze today that I can use tomorrow. So I don't I don't think about it like playing the stock market or buying a lottery ticket or, I mean, you can think about that as being kind of investing or even gambling. Mm -hmm. But I think what investing is like that, like that old fable about the ant and the grasshopper where, where the, uh, you know, the ant works really hard and the grasshopper doesn't. And so I think the, when I ask them, if you were gonna pick an investment um, in yourself to make yourself better, what investment would you make? I mean, the question I would ask would be a question, but it wouldn't be about money. It would be about investing in yourself somehow. Like for you, you know, to have a, a different kind of bakery business or 
to um, you know to invest in a skill, invest in an oven, so you could cook more. I mean, so I'm, my mm-hmm. question would always come back to: What can you do to make yourself stronger, better, uh, more skills? Because I think that's the best investment of all. Mm. Thank you, Mr. Jess. Those are th- th- those are great questions. All right, Danny, is it up to you now? <laughs> Thank you. Yes, just. Mr. Jeff, we attend a Montessori school in our area, and although it's not the same, I believe there may be a few similarities in how we learn and how your Acton Academy students learn. For instance, in the Montessori environment, we have lots of group or peer-to-peer projects. We also participate in lots of Socratic seminars. With all the new or disruptive, um, with all the new or disruptive educational techniques at such a young age, do you still think college is necessary for our generation to be successful? That is a that's a really 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 smart question. Um, how old are you, Danny? I am um, twelve years old right now. Gosh, that's a good. I mean, that's a that's a really smart question. So I'm going to answer your question, but I want to know. It's what my you sister's think. question, by the way. You have to give her a credit for this one. What, 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 how old's your sister? She is thirteen years old. Okay, so so so, what what would be your answer to that question before I answer? Um, I don't really think that going to college is. I think it's something that can help you out in the future for sure. But I feel like if you know like what you want to do and you you can, I think you can do it. And also, yeah. there's other ways of getting education also. So, like, on, like online education and things like that um, could help out yeah. with the process. So, I think that it's not something that you need to be successful. It's just recommended. Do you think your sister and a lot of your friends feel the same way? I know my friend circle. Um, most of the people in my friend circle do not feel the same way. And also, I disagree with my sister. I think college is necessary for our generation to be successful. Because when you're getting hired or something, even though, like you said, you should be your own boss, but if, you let's say, you were to be hired um, at a job, your resume is what the employer is looking at. And if they see a college degree on there, that's going to be a, um, that could really, it could, um, that's a big um, factor in whether you're going to get the job or not. Yeah, so, so, my answer is it depends. Um, so I kind of agree with both you and your sister. So I, I think it depends. Um, I think if you're coming from a lower socioeconomic place, if you're coming from a place where you don't know about business, or mm-hmm. you're then, then, then going to college kind of puts you in a different, uh, in a place you haven't been before, which can be really interesting. And it's like traveling around the world a place you haven't been. So I think that's interesting. I think it could be a tool if you know you want to be an engineer, you know, you, you might need an engineering degree. I think what's foolish about college, because it's so expensive now, is to go just to get a degree not knowing what you want to do. Mm, yes. Because I think it's too expensive to do that. I'll tell you what we're, we're advising the Active Academy uh, launch pad, which is our high school now. What we're encouraging them to do what they're doing. They're, you know, they're coming out of Active Academy with incredible skills, and they're coming out like better than most graduate students. So they're very, very talented. They've been in six or seven apprenticeships, so they have real job skills. And yet, they're asking the same question your sister's asking, you're asking. 
And what we say to them is, apply to get in the college that can best help you do what you want to do. And by the way, if you get a full scholarship to MIT and you want to be an engineer, you should probably go. If it's mm-hmm. free and you know it's, it's MIT or Harvard, you should probably go. Yes. But but even with that, at the same time, try to get the best job you can get now where you want to be. Like if you want to be an engineer, if you can go to SpaceX and get a rocket scientist job straight out of high school, do that and then tell the college, let me wait a year, let me defer a year. Mm-hmm. Then if you get a great promotion at SpaceX while you're waiting to go back to college, call your college back and say, can I wait another year? Well, if you can do that three years and you've gotten a lot of promotions, then you can just say, well, I got into Stanford, but I was too busy going to, working at SpaceX to go and no one will care. If though, mm-hmm. once you work a year at SpaceX, you know, you want to go back to college, you can take a lot of courses online to knock out your first two years cheaply and then go to Stanford for your last two years and maybe take a year of graduate school. So I think I would keep looking at college as a really expensive uh, tool and do, long, do without it, but always have a chance, you know, if I need to get that tool, I'm going to go get the best tool as cheaply as I possibly can. Yes. Okay, that was an amazing answer. And um, it didn't really take a side. It just made it, it gave us all something to think about. Um, oh, thank you. Back to the, oh, you're welcome. Back to the notion of Socratic seminars. We just ended a block of study in English where we discussed the American dream. And our class had a very heated debate about whether the American dream is still alive. What are your thoughts on this topic? In your mind, is the American dream still alive? And do you believe that everyone can achieve financial success? Oh, now that's interesting. What, what was the best argument for and against in your class? Say that again? That you heard. Well, what was the best argument you heard that, that was said, yes, it's still alive? And what was the best argument you heard that said, no, it's not? Do you remember what the people said? Yes, I think um, some people said that it is alive if you can alter your mindset. Mm-hmm. I think that was the best argument, um, saying it is alive. And some of the people saying it was dead saying were saying, were saying it wasn't exactly fair for some lower class people. And um, yeah. I think those were what really stood out to me. And also, I've heard people, including myself, say that the American dream is simply changing, but it is still alive and attainable today. Yeah, those are all great answers. So here's where I would, I would, I, I think people often misunderstand what the American dream promises. And I like the way you said it, the American dream is still alive. And, you know, can you still get have financial success? A lot of people will argue that freedom and free markets and opportunity are so you can get rich. Mm-hmm. And, and I have nothing wrong with making money. I mean, I'm, I think that's terrific. But I think the alternative to the freedom to go out and become who you're going to become and have a mindset that contributes to others and you, know, you want to go out and serve other people with your skills the alternative to that isn't being poor, mm-hmm. you know, isn't being from, the alternative to that is slavery. Mm-hmm. Because if you're not free to choose what you want to do and the government's going to choose it for you or other people are going to make you do it, it's not about money, it's about freedom. And so I think the American dream will always be alive as long as we have the freedom to choose. But whenever we lose the freedom to choose or we give it away, even if we do it to give, make money, it doesn't matter what we give it away for. 
Mm-hmm. The alternative to the American dream isn't being poor. It's being in slavery. That was a very wise answer. That was amazing. Um, Thank you. Is there ever a time when a person should stop generating income, as in they have so much money they don't need to make anymore? Why or why not? That's a great question. God, these are great questions. So I have a friend named Frank Hanna who wrote a book called What Your Money Means. Mm-hmm. And Frank's been very successful financially. I've been very successful financially. And Frank says... Every person has to decide for themselves what they need for their family. And some people want a big house and a fancy car, and some people don't. Now, I'm, I'm pretty much, I don't really want a fancy car or a house. I like airplanes. I like fly airplanes. Those are expensive. But, but I really don't care about all that. But if someone does, and it's their money, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. But what Frank says is, if you have more than you need, you should consider putting it in, in your living room and setting it on fire. And the reason he said that is using money to help other people, if you have more than you need, is really hard. Yes. Because people are better off to help themselves. Now, I'm not talking about someone who's sick or there's been a hurricane. Obviously, we should reach out and help that person, right? Uh-huh. But, but trying to solve problems with money as, as someone who has more money than you need generally brings more um, – it, it brings you more sadness – than happiness. So I don't know, you know, how much people should have. I think that's up to them. But once you think you have enough, it's better to spend your time doing something else than making more money. Um, as you were saying that, I ha- I just came up with a question. Um, do you believe um in people like um just giving money away when like the person those people are giving the money away to are not doing anything to work for it? I think if the people can't help themselves, I mean, there are cases where people really can't. Mm-hmm. But I think in most cases, it's uh, disrespectful because it's saying you can't do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it's I, I think it's dangerous and hard. It's very. Yes. I, I have a lot of friends that spent a lot of time who are great, caring, wonderful people, and they've made a lot of money. And in ninety percent of the time, I see them use that money to try to change the world. It actually harms people. Okay. So I think it's really hard. I, I, I would much rather befriend somebody and, you know, help them find what they want to do in their life and let them, you know, make it on their own if they're capable of it. Like I said, there's some people that really can't. They're sick or they're old. That's different. But for a young person, I, you know, giving okay. people things for free, even if they're your own children, I think it's just very destructive. Mm. Yes. Dr. Phil said the same thing. I was watching an episode of Dr. <laughs> Phil, and he said the exact same thing. I, I just think it, it says to you you can't do it on your own. And I think most people, that doesn't mean they need to you know, be rich or be, I mean, it's just they, they need the dignity of doing something where they contribute to the world mm-hmm. that people care about and, and love. I just, I don't, I, I want to be very careful not to take that dignity away from someone. Yes. Um, we appreciate the time that you took out of your busy schedule um, to be with us today. Uh, but our la- my last question is, what are three pieces of advice that you would give business owners of any age? I, would, I wouldn't give advice, but I would say the only thing someone who's as old as I am, and I'm 59, so I'm kind of a dinosaur compared <laughs> to you guys. I, I think the only thing a dinosaur can contribute is you're a little further down the road. 
And so you can help people decide what questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And when you get to be my age, there's three questions that you're going to ask. And so it's, I think it's good to start asking them now. Those three questions are, did I contribute something meaningful? Was I a good person? And who did I love and who loved me? And I think if you get up every day and you try to decide which of those questions matters the most to you, when you get to be my age, you'll be more satisfied and more fulfilled. And you'll certainly, I mean, the success is going to come, but those three questions, did I contribute something meaningful, meaning to somebody else? Mm-hmm. Was I a good person? And who did I love and who loved me? Those are the three questions that, that I would want to ask starting younger than I did. Wow. I, I actually, I, I, I'm writing notes as you talk. I like, I like what you um, said about the, um, the three um, questions to ask. Um, Danny, do you have anything? No, sir. But we would just like to. Um, my mom. My, okay. We would like to appreciate you for um, um, taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. You are so wise. We're all just sitting here taking notes like we're still in school. Um, thank you so much. Um, it really means well, a lot I, to us. Well, and I want to end. I've had the, I've had the the honor and the privilege of being on a lot of podcasts, and people. So it's been really fun as part of acting to do that. The professionalism from the sound checks to the questions you guys ask to, to keeping it succinct. This is one of the best podcasts I've ever been on. So I, I don't care you know, if you were a professional at this at age 30 and you had a million listeners, you couldn't have done it any better. So I just want to say thank you and congratulate you. You're, you're really pros. Thank, thank you. you. Danny, I really enjoyed that talk, that inspiring talk with Mr. Sandifer. What was your favorite part? Uh, my favorite part was just um, how he said never work for anyone when he gave the um, rock example when the man told him to move the rocks from this side of the yard to the other side of the yard and then back. And how he said, so that's when I decided not to work for anyone. Mm-hmm. And just over his overall knowledge. Like, he's just so wise. And he, um, he's full of knowledge. And he seems like a very um, good person to talk to. It is that unfortunate time of the show when we say goodbye. We would like to thank our guest, Mr. Jeff Sandifer. And thank you guys, um, thank all of you guys that are listening right now. Um, don't forget you guys to stream us on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Podbean, and Spotify, and have an amazing day. We love you.